Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. What happens when there's a debate and no one wins? Welcome to Hour 2 of Sound On. This day after the big debate and Donald Trump's counter-programming last night, prompting a lot of sound bites, but no apparent shakeup in the landscape here, the Republican race for president. We're going to be joined this hour by Lonnie Chen, longtime Republican strategist now with the Hoover Institution, about what we heard last night, whether he sees a potential for anyone to break out in this race and how Donald Trump did with the other show. Later, breaking news on the downing of a jet in Russia we've told you about apparently carrying Yevgeny Prigozhin, we have news from the United States on how that plane may have gone down with a lot to cover this hour. Let's start on Wall Street. Charlie Pellet has our update on trading for us, as always. Hey, Charlie. Hi. Thank you very much, Joe Matthew. All right, Charlie, thank you. Welcome to Hour 2 of Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined at the table now by our friend Kaylee Lines, who is still resting up after a night of three hours of programming, <laughs> essentially, between the yeah. debate and the interview. Uh, and boy, we've got a lot to to, to come yet today uh, with our eyes on Fulton County in Georgia. This just, it's August, but it never stops. No, uh, multiple things to pay attention to at once. Last night being the X interview between Trump and Tucker, as well as the first primary debate. And then today, the aftermath of the debate, we're all, we're all trying to assess whether any needles actually were moved by the right. conversation that happened on stage in Milwaukee. At the same time, we also have our eyes on Trump's airplane to see when it's going to travel from yeah, New Jersey. Oh down to Georgia so that he can show up at the jail in Fulton County. That was really good with the X. You just went right to X. There's no more Twitter for you. I don't I, know. I, I feel I like I, I fluctuate. It. Yeah. Um, but it said Tucker on X. I think that yeah, helped he had me a mentally logo understand last that night. it was now X. Yeah. Elon Musk uh, was clearly embracing this whole thing. Uh, we're going to talk to Lonnie Chen, uh, who's with us here at the table as well today. A longtime Republican strategist helped to run, helped to advise the Romney campaign, the Marco Rubio campaign in 16. We were just talking to Nikki Haley about that. Remember that big endorsement? Yeah, I, I bet you do. <laughs> Welcome crazy. back. It's wonderful to see you. It's great to be back. Um, I want to bring it back to a moment last night that you may have had a hard time finding to begin with or remembering because the governor of Florida did speak. So we I want to start on this with uh, a show of hands. Do you believe yep. in human behavior is causing climate change. Raise your hand if you do. Well, look, we're not school children. Let's have the debate. I mean, I'm happy to take it to start. <laughs> Alexander, so do you want to raise your hand? <laughs> that was actually one of probably his better moments last night where he tried to seize 
the debate, try to get the microphone. Uh, the Trump team, Lonnie, said that he had a cameo, and they thought they'd hear a little <laughs> more from him last night. The whole idea was this was going to be a pile on Ron, but some folks who would might maybe watch a 10 or 20 minute chunk didn't even hear from him. Uh, did he let you down? What was the strategy? I, I mean, look, the strategy probably for him was to survive, honestly, because I also thought I also <laughs> thought it was going to be a pile on the fact yeah. that it wasn't makes it a win for him because he doesn't come out of the debate any worse. In my view, there are a lot of people who are in the donor community, who are in the establishment uh, sort of thought leader, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. the establishment community who had their doubts about Ron DeSantis going into last night. Mm. And I, I don't think that he did anything to. Um, to make those doubts worse, let's put it that way. So in that sense, I think you have to view that as a win. Now, could he have been more forceful? Could he have been involved in more conversations? Perhaps. But I think if you look at the overall trajectory of that campaign, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it could have been a lot worse, right? Yeah. And if everybody had come after him and he was sort of parrying things, uh, it could have been worse, I think. Well, who they decided to go after ultimately and who commanded a lot of the oxygen and attention was Vivek Ramaswamy, yeah, yeah. who has been polling in third, even if DeSantis didn't do anything to make it materially worse, in absence of making it material be materially better, did he just perhaps sacrifice the number two position? Do you think we could see someone like Vivek overtaking him in the not-so-distant future? I, I think what Vivek did was to reinforce the concept that he's a very good communicator, he's mm -hmm. very good in those situations, but I think he's got a ceiling. And, and I think if you look at the... Uh, you know, a couple of focus groups were done right after the debate by various media networks. And I think what was conveyed in those focus groups is what a lot of people are thinking, which is he seems like a nice communicator. Uh -huh. He seems, you know, slick, but he's too young. He's not experienced enough. I do think that those attacks, while they seemed a little bit hackneyed at the time, do speak to his principal problem, which is that there's only so much of the electorate that's available to him in a Republican primary. Yeah. And, and he's going to hit that ceiling. And that's pretty much going to be it, in my view. So you're right. He drove a lot of attention. He may even be at the center of the stage for the next debate at the Reagan Library in California. Uh -huh. But I don't think it makes him any more likely to be the nominee. So the this is a stock that popped after hours. To use a topical analogy. Yeah. yeah. But the, I mean, look, we could this look. Th that's the way these yeah. things work, though. When you look back at the 16 campaign, everybody got a night or a month. Yeah. And then there was no follow on. Ask Chris Christie. That actually could have been the high watermark for Mr. Ramaswamy, no? Yeah, very well could have been. Uh, and. What you see, what I saw last night, was how much disdain, just raw disdain there was for him from the other candidates. How I mean, about you that? look at uh, the way that Nikki Haley engaged him, the way that Mike mm -hmm. Pence engaged him, Chris Christie. I mean, everybody took their shots at Vivek because I, I think the idea that he's up there with them, they find to be kind of fundamentally offensive yeah. in some ways. Yes. right? And, I, and they were not afraid to let that emotion show when they went after him. Well, you him. remember the moment, Kaylee, when he said Donald Trump? I believe was the greatest, greatest president, president of the, the 21st, 21st century. century, then why would you run against him? I can't answer that in my head. Well, I think this is the question we have frankly been continually asking is that Trump is the opponent right. of all of these individuals. And yet most of them in the absence of Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie, the for defendant. example, have been very reluctant to speak out against him. And in some cases have actually outright defended him. How long can they keep that up if realistically they need to get through him mm. to get to the nomination? Well, I mean, that's exactly the right question because the, the way this primary has set up, I have always felt if you want to take out the king, you need to take out the king. Mm. You cannot use proxies. You cannot go sideways. You have to come directly at him. And no one really has been willing to do that in a sustained way or certainly in a way that would impact the likelihood that he's the nominee. And so 
What you're left with is this inalterable conclusion that last night, while entertaining for some, did not move the needle for anybody else. This is still Donald Trump's nominating contest. Mm. I think the poll numbers will reflect, broadly speaking, a bump for Nikki Haley. Mm. So she's going to go from maybe 2% to 4% or 5%. But at the end of the day, this is still Donald Trump's race to lose. It has been that way. And I say that with some sadness because, you know, I think that it's it's harmful for the Republican Party in the long run to have Donald Trump as the nominee of the party again. But as I look at it, I don't see any other conclusion being logically and empirically verifiable. So smart move to sit down with Tucker and not. Attend yeah, I mean, I listen. Why? Why should he have gone to that? Deb- he would have just gotten beat up on probably right. or in the alternative. He does well, and he's not a whole lot better off, right? His numbers are what his numbers are. Tucker, he's speaking to his audience, uh, and it's just a much lower uh, sort of likelihood that something goes wrong in that environment versus in the debate environment. So uh, I think his team made the right call. It's not the right call for democracy, (laughs) but it's the right call for the Trump team. Absolutely. So as you're talking about the idea that this is still Trump's race to lose, that no one is really moving the needle here, could the needle be moved if it were four candidates on that stage instead of eight? If we start to see a winnowing down of the field from here, as we get closer to the second debate, we see whether or not anyone who didn't make the criteria this time around, whether or not they can pull it off uh, in, in round two, is that when we actually start to see it make a difference? And until then, is his lead just going to continue to widen? If you look at primary campaigns past, it has been when that field winnows and you're down to three or four candidates around that debate stage or table, when you begin to see harder contrasts, right? It's mm-hmm. when uh, you had Chris Christie going after Marco Rubio and that takedown, you know, I think there were fewer candidates by the time we got to that. Not a lot fewer, but a few fewer. And so I do think what this race, this race is going to have to crystallize to a point where it's one-on-one. And the, you've got a lot of things standing in the way of one-on-one right now. Mm-hmm. You've got personal ambition. You've got a lot of financial resources behind some of these candidates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you've got the fact that their personal incentive is probably to stay in as long as they can because they can participate in these debates. People will learn more about them. There are advantages to being in this race. So I, I just think that Donald Trump having the lead also has several intrinsic advantages, such as the fact that the inertia is going to run toward a more people in the race for longer than not. Is Part of the Donald Trump strategy to show up at court today effective in keeping him in front of the news, blunting what apparently was really not a bounce for anyone last night. The choreography we're going to see over the next 12 hours is going to be important for him. It is. I mean, you know, he's always of the belief that there's no such thing as bad coverage That's and right. bad media. And, and, you know, he may be right about that. So what are know. the risks today then? They're the the same risks. I mean, the risks right now are all general election risks, Uh in my view. They're not primary risks. Um, One thing that Nikki, to go to this general primary issue, one thing that Nikki Haley did very well last night was present herself as a credible general election candidate. Her answers on abortion, on a whole other series, especially abortion, I thought, were really tuned toward that audience of independent voters whether they're pro-life or pro-choice. They hear what she says, and they think that's a very reasonable position to take. So... She was able to distinguish herself as an effective general election candidate. She may have been the only one, perhaps aside from Christie or Hutchinson or or Burgum to a certain degree, who were able to do that. So um, I think Trump's challenge tonight is 
he's just giving more fodder, in my view, to Joe Biden. I mean, the Biden team, they're talking about Bidenomics now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be talking about Bidenomics when we get to next summer. They made about Donald Trump and about his legal troubles. And yes. do you really want this person in the White House again? Mm-hmm. That's what it'll be. It's a, it's a really interesting election because it's a referendum on both Biden and Trump. Right. That, yeah. We haven't well, had that in, in a while. And to your point, Nikki Haley was talking about that last night. She said most voters do not want to see a rematch. Right. Also said that Donald Trump is either the least liked or the most hated. I forget the exact language. <laughs> yeah. So roughly paraphrasing politician in America, and they can't win a general election that way. But you say that the Biden administration eventually is going to have to talk about Trump and his legal problems. They have specifically avoided doing yeah. that to this point, because we also heard on stage last night a lot about the weaponization of the Justice Department yep. and going after political opponents. How do they get around that narrative? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they're, some of it is they're just going to have to take their lumps on it because at the end of the day, the, the, the attack on Trump is probably more effective than the notion that uh, – and I, we'd have to see numbers to really support this. But my instinct just says if you've got this whole range of stuff on Trump and so much of it hinges on his legal difficulties – Separate and apart from the federal case, you've got all these state cases as well. Right. There's enough material there to use that they probably ought to use it, and I think they will use it. And again, I just I think the challenge with making the economic argument, which I know they want to make, mm-hmm. is it does fly in the face a little bit of where people are in terms of how they feel about the economy. And if you look at all the survey research, there was a poll done by sure. Quinnipiac University. There's another poll done recently that just shows, particularly amongst African Americans and Hispanics, a deep disaffection with economics right now, with the, the, the condition of the economy. And you're making an argument about Bidenomics is working, and people are like, well, it doesn't work for me, right? Mm -hmm. So that mismatch really leaves them with very few available arguments, and that's why I think the Trump argument will be irresistible for them. Nikki Haley went to the economy last night in a pretty interesting moment. We asked her about this earlier today, calling out not only Democrats, but also Republicans for adding to the nation's debt. They need to stop the spending. They need to stop the borrowing. They need to eliminate the earmarks that the Republicans brought back in, and they need to make sure they understand these are taxpayer dollars. It's not their dollars. And while they're all saying this, you have Ron DeSantis, you've got Tim Scott, You've got Mike Pence. They all voted to raise the debt. And Donald Trump added $8 trillion to our debt. And our kids are never going to forgive us for this. Naming names, <laughs> including Donald Trump in that case, $8 trillion is a big number that Joe Biden, I'm sure, is looking forward to reminding people about. I just wonder your thoughts on Nikki Haley last night. She had a good night. She's getting a lot of buzz this morning. She had some powerful exchanges. And I think to your uh, I think you were at least going there a little bit earlier. She sounded a lot more like a Mitt Romney last night than a Donald Trump. But is there a party for that? Well, I, first of all, I think the argument on, on deficits and debt is, is a good argument for her to carry. And I appreciate that she carried that because it doesn't feel like a lot of Republicans are willing to. Is there an audience for it? That I'm not sure about. Hmm. Uh, I, I think within the Republican Party, there is certainly an audience for it. It is a smaller audience today than 10 years ago. 10 yeah. years ago, uh, deficits and debt, you know, when I worked on uh, Mitt Romney's 2012 effort, I will tell you that was always one of our top polling mm-hmm. uh, issues, that people were deeply concerned. This was coming out of the Tea Party movement of 2010, 2011, Obamacare, all that other stuff. There was a lot of interest in deficit and debt. Now I'm not so sure. but. 
what she is showing is that she's trying in some ways to unite the tribes here. She's trying to say, listen, if you like the America First stuff, I was part of that administration. I did that. If you like the fiscal conservative, that's me. I'm telling you about deficit and debt. If you like the social conservative, I'm just socially conservative enough. I'm pro-life, but I do believe in states having some measure of control over things. Mm -hmm. I I think she was trying to be the Unite the Tribes candidate. And, And if you think about the numbers in this primary, there are probably 65% of people out there in the Republican primary who don't want Donald Trump to be the nominee. So yeah, if you can unite those tribes. Was exactly. How about it? Lonnie, great to have you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. To talk to yeah. us. Uh, Lonnie Chan with us on Sound On. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. The former Republican governor of South Carolina, of course, our former ambassador to the U.N., who had a big night on the debate stage, getting a lot more attention this day than she was even yesterday. But can she keep the momentum going? Let's assemble our panel. Our signature panel is here with more after the big night. That would, of course, be Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Great to have both of you here, guys. Rick, I'll start with you after this uh, big conversation uh, for the Republican Party last night. Uh, Your initial reaction uh, to Nikki Haley, she had a big night here sparring with Vivek Ramaswamy, any number of others, and even called out Donald Trump and members of her own party. Was this a good performance? Did she win the night? Well, she certainly executed on her plan, and I think we were all surprised by that plan. And by the way, kudos for getting her on an interview today. Uh, I think, you know, we learned a little bit about her views on Social Security, which actually seemed to track more the Mike Pence view than uh, most of the Mm -hmm. people that were uh, on the stage last night. But look, I mean, she turned out to be the anti-Trump elixir for the stage. I mean, she did more uh, along the lines that we thought uh, Chris Christie would do, which is really take it to Trump, the administration, contrast her views on everything from economic issues to trade to to national security um, and 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 really got into it. Uh, uh, with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy in a way that, uh, you know, kudos to her for standing up uh, for her principles. So uh, I think she was a standout last night. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how much 
demand there is for that kind of uh, point of view within the Republican Party. I mean, if she is the last person standing against Donald Trump, uh, I think it might be an interesting race. Would love your take on this as well, Jeannie Shanzano. Here's the moment uh, that Nikki Haley jumped out of the box to go at it with Vivek Ramaswamy on foreign You've affairs. You've been pushing this you lie want, all week, Nikki. You want Nikki. to go and defund Israel? Just, you want to okay, let me address that. I'm glad you, you brought that up. Go and give you I'm going to address Russia? each of those right now. This is the false he lies of a professional politician. There you have it. Your so you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you all have shows in the pointless wars we've gotten into. I have to address that. So our relationship with Israel will never be stronger than by the end of my first term. But it's not a client relationship. It is a friendship. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows, she said. Jeannie, how did Nikki Haley do last night? She performed very well. And I think if you're a Democrat watching this, you're hoping that she is not the nominee. And lucky for Democrats, it's unlikely she will be because Nikki Haley is running and she is probably the winner of any sort of quote unquote establishment Republicans. She's probably the winner of the donor class. But as you hear that audience from the second they began introducing the candidates on stage and we heard the boos for Chris Christie, sounded even like for uh, Asa Hutchinson, um, you knew that this was Donald Trump's crowd all the way. And Vivek Ramaswamy, mm. every time he spoke, and to me, he was auditioning to be VP. He was the stand-in for Donald Trump. He was met with cheers for the most part. So she had a very strong night. I'm just not sure there's an audience for it in the Republican Party that was sitting in that audience and that is gonna be voting in these primaries. And that's the problem for that? the Republican Party. And so, you know, it is a real challenge for somebody like her, but she did for Democrats. She's, you know, looming as a big, pragmatic, old style Republican concern. So you both seem to agree here. She's she's from a Republican Party of the past. Uh, maybe let's talk about Vivek uh, Ramaswamy a little bit more because she wasn't the only one to call him out for a lack of experience. How about I mean, Mike look, Pence? Joe Biden has weakened this country at home and abroad. Now is not the time for on the job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. <laughs> You know, there was that memo, remember, uh, from uh, the Ron DeSantis pack that said he was going to go after Vivek. That would be the target. Apparently, it was he was not the only one to get that memo. Here's I've Chris Christie already tonight of a guy who sounds like chat GPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Come on, give me a hug. Amateur. Give me a hug just same, like you did to Obama. Same type of amateur. And, and you'll help elect me just like you did to Obama, too. He never did get the hug. Uh, I will give Vivek Ramaswamy credit for smiling through the entire debate. I feel like there might be something uh, somewhat contagious there, but Rick, are we going to look back at last night as the peak of the Ramaswamy campaign? Oh, I don't know. I think he's going to be around for a little while. He's 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 pretty good on the stump and people are entertained. Uh, and, and maybe he is like what Jeannie says, auditioning for VP. What's interesting is yeah. every vote he's got that's sitting on his ballot is a Donald Trump vote. Right. I mean, like 
<clears throat> what we learned last night is he's willing to go way further out, like what uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley pointed out, than anybody else on that stage for things like supporting Putin, you know, giving a break to China, uh, you know, abandoning our friends in the Middle East like Israel. I mean, you know, these are such outrageous positions that no one else is going to touch that rail, you know, on that stage, except Donald Trump, who actually got ahead by saying outrageous things, just like Vivek mm-hmm. has done. So uh, if you got to worry if Vivek ever got out of the race, I think all that support just goes to pad the the the, the comfort of the Donald Trump margin. So, um, you know, go Vivek, uh, drain the beast, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, keep going up in the polls because nobody else yeah. outside of a hard Trump supporter is going to be for that guy. Well, it's confusing to me, Jeannie, because Ramaswamy said last night that he believes Donald Trump was the greatest president of the 21st century. If you believe that, why would you run? That's absolutely right. And of course, you know, of a man who's facing, what, 91 criminal charges and is, you know, uh, in four jurisdictions facing trials that may put him in jail for his life and turning himself in today. You know, for the for the Democrats, Vivek Ramaswamy is something of a dream. Nothing could be better for them than if it's not Donald Trump, it's Vivek Ramaswamy. But of course, to Rick's point, where is the pathway for somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy? Because he's sort of Trump Jr. Um, and, you know, I, I heard somebody today describe him as the Tracy Flick of the election, which, as you mentioned, all the smiling, the best political campaign movie ever election with Reese Witherspoon. And that's really what he seemed like. But you've got to wonder, you know, it, it, what is he doing? And that's why I come back to I think he is auditioning to be VP or a cabinet member. That said, You know, he came out of nowhere and for him to be the center of this debate and to be the person that a former vice president, all these governors and former governors are attacking and to have this standout performance for what it is, I think really speaks to the really, uh, really dismal path that the Republican Party is going down now. And the fact that Trump was right to skip this, this is his party and his election and his campaign right now to lose. And it was showcased last night. Extra points for the Tracy Flick reference. Scott, I can always (laughs) count on you, Jeannie Shanzano. How did Mike Pence do? We heard his voice a minute ago, Rick. He had more experience than anyone else. He really took the moment uh, when he could to try to stand out from the pack. He leaned into the January 6th story. Did he do enough to stay viable? You know, look, his pathway is Iowa. And so look at what he did. He was more combative than I think anybody thought he was going to be. He took his normal shot at Donald Trump on the Constitution. And he talked a lot about scripture and his faith, which is a good road to hoe if you're trying to win a caucus in Iowa. So I'm not sure how much of that's going to sell in New Hampshire. Uh, but uh, he's a one-state candidate, and he worked it hard last night. I'd say he did pretty well, uh, much better than I thought he could. Uh, he has very high negatives within Republican caucus goers in Iowa. So the question is, hmm. did he overcome some of that negativity? It's not a neutral position on him. Republicans in Iowa don't like him, and so he's going to have to do what he can to overcome that. And I think he made some progress last night. We'll see how he does, I guess, in the second debate. But you know whose name I have not mentioned yet? He was supposed to be the star last night. He came in with a very different strategy than I think some expected. <clears throat> the governor of Florida, who the Trump team uh, suggests played a cameo at best in the debate last night. But when he spoke, 
he he didn't seem like he was terribly involved in the rest of the debate, almost as if there was media training. Maybe you guys can weigh in on this and say, hey, no one watches these things. We need capturable content for social media. Don't worry about what comes before or after your opportunity. This to economy, speak. it was a mistake. It should have never happened. And in Florida, we led the country out of lockdown. We kept our state free and open. And I can tell you this, as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. You bring Fauci in, you sit him down, and you say, Anthony, you are fired. Interesting, because I thought that was Donald Trump's line, you're fired, but he went there. A lot of uncomfortable smiles last night. He was frozen at one point in the camera. Rick Davis, how did Ron DeSantis do? Well, I, I, I'm afraid my old friend, uh, Brett O'Donnell, who gave debate advice to, to John McCain and, and virtually every presidential campaign since then, had his work cut out for him. Because who looked more uncomfortable on that stage than yeah. what was supposed to be the, the guy everybody wanted. So, uh, look, I mean, maybe he just doesn't have it in him. But uh, as you pointed out, he just kind of ignored what was going on, didn't care what question was asked of him, didn't interact with yeah. anybody else, didn't create a moment where he did anything other than his normal talking points. So uh, if he thinks he's on the comeback trail with that performance, he's on the wrong path. Well, that's not good, Jeannie. This was supposed to be the night that he reversed the slide. You know, he's doing the big campaign reset or something like that. Uh, is there something to his approach? It was certainly clippable for Instagram and, and Twitter. Or did he lose ground last night? Yeah, it was clippable for Trump's campaign. Certainly, I don't know about DeSantis' that's a campaign. Good point. You know, quite frankly... Joe, you're like a half hour into this show and you're just messing, you know, mentioning him now. And that's right. pretty much the reality of DeSantis. Was he even on that stage? I kept wondering, did he think he was like Donald Trump up 50 points, 40 points, and he could just not show up? Because quite frankly, it was like he wasn't even there and he was center stage. He was upstaged. He did not take many opportunities. If any, he looked uncomfortable. He said things about Fauci and, you know, Let's remember the pandemic for Republican voters in the primary right at this point doesn't matter. And Fauci mm -hmm. already retired. So why is he talking about him? You know, it just it was a mind boggling sort of strategy. If there was one, he didn't execute. But this is how he was in the gubernatorial debates as well. He is not a good debater. He's not a good retail politician. I don't know what his path is forward, but I can't imagine you're a big money donor and you're thinking, that's the guy for me. I can't imagine it. I think it was a really poor performance. So what happens after a night like that, Rick? Jeannie just mentioned the donors. What's this campaign doing now? They they can't think that went well. Well, I'll ask you the same thing I guess I did about Ramaswamy. Do we look back at last night as, you know, kind of the beginning of the end or has that already happened? You know, look, I think that he's already slid 30 points from his ballot in February. Right. So, like, what more is left? And and the reality is, too, if if people are looking for an option for Donald Trump and they're in that cohort where they may be sitting on Trump's ballot. Right. How do we get people off of Trump and onto another candidate? I say Ramaswamy kind of made his case last night. You think Donald Trump's crazy and going to do these insane things around the world? Pick me. I'll even be more crazy and do more uh, insane things around the world. I mean, like he he actually 
played a completely different deck of cards and I think got away with it. So uh, I doubt if there's going to be very many Trump voters shopping for the DeSantis. Oh, you know, you're a better option for me. I think they're going full crazy and may start you know, moving over to Ramaswamy and uh, and seeing whether or not he's the real deal. Um, uh, it doesn't really make a bit of difference to the rest of the field because they're not competing with the same voters. Ramaswamy's not going to take a single ballot away from Tim Scott or, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Nikki Haley or or any of the other candidates. Well, we've got a lot more to talk about, including the man who was not in the room uh, last night. Donald Trump sat down with Tucker Carlson, did a polished, edited interview that covered a lot of ground from Jeffrey Epstein to civil war. And this is the day he's expected to show up in Fulton County to surrender. So we're about to shift our attention back to Donald Trump's legal issues. We'll talk about it next with Rick and Jeannie, only here on Sound On. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, it wasn't just the debate last night. We also had the split screen with Donald Trump, the far and beyond front runner in this contest, sitting for an interview with Tucker Carlson because, you know, he figured with his polling numbers, he had no interest in going to that debate. He was bigger than it. polls have come out and I'm leading by 50 and 60 points. And, you know, some of them are at one and zero and uh, two. And I'm saying, do I sit there for an hour or two hours, whatever it's going to be, and uh, get harassed by people that shouldn't even be running for president? Should I be doing that? So if. So no show. And they talked about a lot of stuff beyond the debate uh, with Tucker Carlson. It's about 45 minutes long, I guess. They got into whether Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. They got into whether we're heading for a civil war. Uh, Sort of a bizarre conversation. As the president did his best to appear bigger than the debate last night, which members of the Trump team called the undercard. Let's reassemble our panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. I don't know if you watched it, uh, Jeannie. Maybe you have to get back there and add to the views on Twitter or X or whatever we call it. But in retrospect, having seen the debate, was that actually the smart move from Donald Trump or did he miss an opportunity? 
He, he didn't miss an opportunity by skipping the debate. There was really no reason for him to appear there, and he was right about that. But this interview, I, in my mind, the words come chilling, weird. Um, they talked about civil war. They talked about potential violence. Uh, Carlson asked him if they thought he thought he was going to be assassinated. So if anybody thinks that if Donald Trump is the nominee, and that seems increasingly likely, that things are going to calm down, that is absolutely not the case. I mean, they are they are talking about political and social violence and a civil war. And Donald Trump came off as sort of less unhinged than Chuck Tucker Carlson, if it's possible. But it was a very, very bizarre conversation. And as you mentioned, even got into things like Jeffrey Epstein and whether he killed himself mm. or not. So, you know, he was right to skip the debate. Doesn't make that much sense if you're 40 points up. But this interview is a chilling reminder as to what's ahead if he's the nominee and indeed if he's reelected. You can weigh in, I guess, on the Civil War uh, if you want to here, Rick. But I just wonder, strategically, the conventional wisdom was, hey, why would Trump ever go? And it looks like he may not attend any of these uh, primary debates based on what he's posted on social media. He's not going to be able to resist this for a lot longer, though, right? Is he really going to sit all these out? Well, he might. I mean, unless there's a serious challenge that confronts him that uh, he would need to try to vanquish. Uh, I can't imagine what's in it for him to stand around a bunch of the replacements and and give them sort of a free shot at him. Uh, they, they seem encouraging uh, to want to do it. So um, I, I think he did the right thing. I He had to do something. Uh, and I, I agree with Jeannie. I mean, the, the most bizarre thing wasn't Donald Trump last night. It was Tucker Carlson. I mean, the strangest <laughs> bunch of questions, you know, about conspiracy theories and oddball, you know, questions that I've yeah. ever seen in an interview. Uh, and, and the most low energy between the two of them. I mean, like, who's going to name them low energy? I mean, it's it was boring. Um, and I'll be honest, you know, uh, when I was on the Ronald Reagan campaign, we talked a lot about the Panama Canal. Didn't think we were going to hear about that again last night. But sure enough, you know, those nasty Chinese infiltrated the Panama Canal. Well, he was president for four years. Did he do anything about China infiltration of the Panama Canal? I don't remember. But uh, I must say, I, don't uh, I think this is the first time I would ever say I think the, the undercard was better than the top fight. I can't disagree with that. I feel like Jeannie would agree as well. And his hope here is to just debate Joe Biden, right? Bypass the primaries, act like you're the incumbent, get on stage with President Biden. He did get into the age issue last night, despite the fact that he's only four years younger than the sitting you look president. At him, he can't walk to the helicopter. He, he walks. He can't lift his feet out of the grass. You know, it's only two inches at the White House, right? It's not a lot. But you watch him and it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. Walking on toothpicks across the South Lawn. Never mind the beach. We've seen a lot of beach photos lately. I guess Donald Trump's been paying attention. Then you attention. see him in the beach where he can't lift a chair. You know, those chairs are meant to be light, right? They're like two ounces. Yeah. You lift them up. He can't lift the chair. He can't walk to the chair. And I, I don't know what they're doing with the beach. You know, this beach is seeming to play a big role, but they love pictures of him on the beach. I think he looks terrible on the beach. Maybe he should be on the golf course, Genie. I don't know, but uh, it didn't seem like he had too much trouble lifting the chair. Uh, is he on to something, though? Since this Hawaii trip, there's been a much more concerted uh, effort to paint Joe Biden as being too old 
and unfit mentally and physically for this job. Yeah, it's the same thing that they tried to do to Hillary Clinton and in the end successfully in 2016 um, to try to say that she didn't have her faculties together. Um, and they're trying to do it with Joe Biden. And, and you know, as you looked at the uh, conservative media post that Hawaii trip, there was a lot of those memes and videos about him sleeping Well, he wasn't sleeping. He was swallowing. He was putting his head down during a very tough discussion about all the people who had, you know, yep. suffered uh, during the fires and the victims. So, you know, there is an awful lot of that going down. But I have to say, I was surprised even for Donald Trump to go there, because, of course, today, when he turns himself in, they may release his weight and not just the mugshot, but his weight, which is something he may want to avoid. We know he's very concerned about that. So for him to be talking about somebody else's physical condition, I think it's going to be interesting yeah. to see what comes out about his weight when they book him today in that horrific jail <laughs> down in Atlanta. And, and height. He's going to, you know, and height and no Ronnie Jackson there to say what excellent condition he's in. Well, that's true. I, You know, they, they did the fake mugshot, right? Didn't they put a, a false weight on there? <laughs> <laughs> T-shirts that they I look, we're going to see a mugshot apparently at some point uh, later on today. We don't know exactly when he's going to get to the courthouse. But of course, we'll keep you posted on all of this uh, here on Bloomberg. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis reminding us that we have a whole other leg in this story later on today as we go back to Fulton County. But we're not done with the debate. Not quite yet. Some final thoughts from our panel straight ahead on who was locked out of the spin room last night. And they're still complaining about it. It's the fastest show in politics. The day after the debate, the day of the surrender. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Glad you're with us. It's Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 1 Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Uh, of course, the part of the show at the debate like last night in Milwaukee is what's happening outside of the hall. And in the spin room is what they call it. That's where all the surrogates go after the the big debate try to get on cable news and literally spin uh, what their preferred candidate said and try to set things straight. But of course, Donald Trump skipped the debate and the RNC made a decision last evening to not allow Trump surrogates. We're going to have Rick and Jeannie weigh in on this because it turned into a pile up at the door of the spin room. Just ask Marjorie Taylor Greene, who went on a rival conservative network to they complain just about blocked it. us out. They would not allow myself, Matt Gates, any other Trump surrogates to go into the spin room. Uh, we argued with them, talked to them. We showed the correct cr credentials. We had spin room credentials, and they would not let us in. So this is censorship um, from Fox News. Actually, the RNC, I believe, if not Fox, they both said that this would be the case. They warned them that they would not be welcome. But I'll tell you what, Donald Trump Jr. showed up, too, and he Probably was not a happy surprise guy. any of us, uh, but that's what it is. I've been told by others that I would be able to go in. So they said we were able to go in, then they said they were in now that we're here. Wait, wait, and the candidate that said you can't go in the spin room. They're telling me right now. They told them that they wouldn't be let in, but they showed up anyway. Rick Davis, uh, was that the right move by the organizers of this debate? Sure. You got to pay to play. I mean, Donald Trump blows off Fox, blows off the RNC, you know, won't abide by the rules that the RNC set up and then expects to have 
you know, carte blanche into access to uh, the spin room and things like that. No, I mean, the only mistake I think that they made is instead of talking about Donald Trump and using the moment like on air to pitch the Donald Trump campaign, they just talked about themselves and their grievances and and, and had nothing to do with actually winning a presidential race. So, you know, would you have left them out, Jeannie? Oh, no, it's so un-American. Kidding. That's what Kimberly Guilfoyle said as Don Don Jr. whined next to her. Yes, you can't you can't go in if you don't go to the debate. That's a reality. I thought they broke up. I'm just behind on everything, I guess. Jeannie Shanzano, thank you. Rick Davis, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sound On Podcast. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already at Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can find us live every weekday from Washington, D.C. at 1 p.m. Eastern Time at Bloomberg.com. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.